Good day and welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Kleiman Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Stone. In October, Department of Energy Secretary Rick Perry grabbed the attention of U.S. competitive wholesale electricity markets when he issued an unusual request to the federal agency tasked with overseeing these markets, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Perry's proposal, known as the Resilience NOPER, or Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, asked that subsidies be paid to electricity generators that the Energy Department maintains are critical to the resilient operation of the electricity system. More specifically, the subsidies would go to coal and nuclear power plants that can store a 90-day supply of fuel on site. DOE maintains that this would ensure the plant's continued operation in the event of fuel supply disruptions, for example, during extreme weather. But the move to favor certain generators threatens to undermine competitive market principles that are the foundation of electricity markets. It could also disadvantage other forms of generation, mainly natural gas and renewables, which, the Energy Secretary maintains, are less resilient. PJM Interconnection, the largest competitive electricity market, has been outspoken in its concern around the DOE proposal and the resiliency assumptions that underlie it. PJM has presented an alternative which aims to reform the way prices are set in energy markets. Critically from PJM's perspective, its price reforms would preserve market-based principles. PJM's plan would increase revenues to electric generators, including the same endangered coal and nuclear plants that the DOE aims to support. Here to talk about PJM's proposal is Stu Bressler, PJM's Senior Vice President for Operations and Markets. Stu, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Also, here's my colleague, Christina Simeone, Director of Policy and External Affairs at the Climate Center. Christina has written extensively on issues related to PJM, and I'm going to hand over the podcast reins to her for much of today's episode. Christina, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Andy. And before we start, a quick note to our listeners. Today's episode is likely to get into some of the more esoteric aspects of the wholesale electricity markets. We'll do our best to define some potentially unfamiliar terms along the way. For more insights, publications related to today's conversation are linked on the podcast webpage on the Climate Center website. So, Stu, again, welcome to the podcast. Can you talk about uh, what it was that PJM didn't like about the Department of Energy, NOPER? Well, thanks again for, for having me uh, today, Andy. And, and first, it's important to note that the Department of Energy did highlight concerns that are shared throughout the energy industry, those being properly valuing the contribution of reliable generation sources and ensuring fuel security and strengthening grid resilience. We've suggested, by the way, that the FERC should commence a process for defining resilience and fuel security and develop uh, some industry guidance around those terms because they are often used without a rigorous definition. But we really think that any approach should be fuel neutral. And really, there is no connection between the availability of a 90-day on-site fuel supply and the possible prevention or mitigation of any outage or reliability issue. Competitive markets actually provide reliability at the lowest reasonable cost. And effectively, under the DOE proposal, half of all the capacity in the PJM region would be removed from the discipline of competitive market forces because they would be guaranteed cost recovery regardless of their competitiveness in the market. So while PJM agrees that the DOE's report highlights issues with price formation, we believe the best solution to achieving the DOE's goal is through the competitive markets. Thank you for that, Stu. Um, 
from that point, the, the DOE NOPA, as you mentioned, focused on grid resiliency, advocating uh, guaranteed cost plus profit return for generators that store 90 days of uh, fuel on site. Um, PJM disagreed with that assertion, that assertion, but took the opportunity to highlight its concerns about price formation. Price formation reform was also the number one recommendation in the DOE's reliability report released earlier in the year in August. Can you tell us, is there a connection between price formation reform and resiliency? Or does the price formation issue go beyond DOE's current resiliency focus? Well, again, the the department's interest in ensuring fuel security and resilience and the proper pricing of reliability attributes actually aligns with the efforts already underway uh, by PJM and our stakeholder community. The most reasonable and effective path forward to address the NOPR's goals is through refinements to the competitive wholesale markets. It's important to get the price of electricity right in the wholesale power market, meaning that that price transparently reflects the cost of serving load. So our proposal to reform how electricity price, uh, our, our form, does just that. It would calibrate the prices so that they accurately reflect the true cost of providing the power that is necessary to serve the load on the grid. And so we believe that enhancing energy price formation makes sense, and it's the right thing to do and to do right now in order to fulfill the goals established in the DOE NOPR as well as ensure the ongoing efficiency with which our markets operate. So let's, let's get into some of the details of uh, price formation enhancements. Um, price formation reforms involve changing the way prices are determined in the energy market. Currently, only certain types of operationally flexible or dispatchable power plants are eligible to set energy market prices. Can you explain to our listeners why PJM is concerned about this current approach? Well, again, and we're going to come back to this, I think, during the, during the podcast today, but enhancing energy price formation will do the best possible job of ensuring that prices reflect the resources required to serve load and thereby provide the longer-term signals for efficient entry and exit. Any shortcomings that we had in the energy market price formation in the past were really masked by upward pressure on prices resulting from rising demand and the higher cost of marginal units, which were typically uh, natural gas-fired generation units. The problem we have is that by not allowing inflexible units that are actually committed and dispatched by PJM to set price uh, has a suppressive effect on energy market prices. So now demand growth is essentially flat. Technology improvements and low fuel prices have made formerly higher cost natural gas generation really a lower cost resource. And the change results from the conversion efficiencies of modern gas turbines and the low price of natural gas because of abundant supplies uh, stemming from uh, fracking technology. So given these factors and the resulting supply mix in PJM, the current LMP method is, again, suppressing energy market prices by not allowing all resources that PJM commits to set those energy market prices. And that inaccurate energy market price uh, inappropriately reduces revenues and does not send the right price signals to value operational attributes and drive efficient resource entry and exit. So the incentives right now uh, are not as good as they could be. Okay. So this is, this is a long-standing facet of the market, but you're saying this has never been um, an issue in the past because prices were higher, because um, the, the fuel cost of the marginal units was much higher. Now that the 
fuel costs um, are lower, this issue about marginal units setting the price, only certain marginal units setting the price, is now um, becoming more uh, problematic. And this is why a new approach is being uh, looked at. Right. It's, it's a combination of all those factors, exactly. So we're seeing, again, declining load growth. We're seeing um, a resource mix, which is really resulting in kind of a flattening of the supply curve. Uh, and so where we had the, you know, the more inflexible uh, kind of what's referred to sometimes as baseload resources, uh, always sort of at the bottom of the supply curve historically, now we're seeing almost a switching where the the units that has have historically been uh, higher cost and on the margin are really uh, almost interchangeable at times with those uh, those more inflexible baseload units, and so that's why this uh, aspect of the energy market price formation has been masked in the past, and it's becoming more obvious now. So PJM's November white paper on enhancing price formation uh, proposed moving from the current locational marginal pricing, or LMP, uh, to an extended LMP approach where these operationally inflexible or block-loaded units like coal and nuclear could set energy market prices. Can you briefly explain the concept of extended LMP and how it's different from the current approach? Sure. So again, as you said, LMP is locational marginal pricing. And what we are proposing is still LMP. It is by no means a departure from that locational marginal pricing, which is really the cornerstone of uh, the efficient uh, op, uh, you know, pricing of energy uh, in PJM and other regions of the, of the United States as well. But again, what we think is that all resources that are committed by PJM to serve load should have the opportunity to set price uh, and therefore recover their costs uh, through the market. So that's what this proposal is all about. When we initially implemented LMP, uh, because uh, of the nature of resources on the system and some of the inflexibilities that physical assets just uh, naturally have, they, they can't really be avoided, we essentially made a simplifying assumption in the price calculation. And that was that inflexible units, so resources that could not change their output uh, in direction from PJM, in response to direction from PJM, could not set LMP. Only flexible resources could set LMP when in reality, inflexible resources are also required in order to serve demand on the system. So the proposal PJM is making is, is really involving enabling all resources that PJM requests to operate to set price. There, thereby, it will allow that all such resources can compete in the marketplace uh, for that price-setting capability. Uh, so that really is the essence of the proposal and the extended LMP concept. It's really... Uh, the, the reason for the E is really extending the price-setting capability uh, from just flexible units to also uh, the inflexible units that PJM needs to serve load. And really the impact will be that more resources will actually have an incentive to be flexible because they can actually do better in the market as a result. So, Stu, can you tell us a little bit why the original decision was made not to let inflexible resources set price and now in an energy market that focuses on variable marginal costs, how prices will be set for those 
inflexible block-loaded units. So these these units that can only provide kind of all-or-nothing megawatts um, that have certain startup costs, costs associated with bringing the plan online, and no-load costs, which are the start the costs associated with. Um, the time between startup and actually being ready to provide power to the grid. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that calculation happens? Uh, sure. So just going back to the beginning in 1998 when we initially implemented LMP, both the program that determines the actual dispatch instructions, uh, our economic dispatch software, and the price calculation software are both optimizations. And optimizations function very well. They get to the optimal answer when the variables that are being optimized are infinitely flexible. That means they can be moved from zero to their maximum capability and really be sort of dispatched, if you will, anywhere in between. Generating units on the system do not have infinite flexibility. They have limitations like economic minimum values, economic maximum values, ramp rate limitations, uh, startup costs, minimum run times, all these physical characteristics that are just reality with respect to what physical generation plants look like. And those limitations give optimization programs a hard time in actually determining the optimal solution. In the physical dispatch solution, those inflexibilities must be respected in order to get a physically feasible solution. So essentially, the physical dispatch program assumes resources that can't change their output are just fixed. So they are just uh, uh, taken at whatever they're putting out is a given, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then the dispatch program dispatches resources that can change their output in order to ensure that the load and generation balance is always maintained. So that's the way the physical dispatch works. In the price calculation, when we initially implemented LMP, we decided to make the same assumption. And that was done for a couple reasons. Number one, it's relatively simple because the dispatch solution flows right into the price calculation. So there's a simplicity there. And then secondly, to do anything else in the price calculation was extremely computationally intensive. It was very difficult to solve, (laughs) especially in the real-time time frame when we're looking at calculating prices every five Five minutes. minutes, So that was why we initially implemented LMP, and it came with a cost. That simplifying assumption came with a cost, and that is that resources committed by PJM that were not permitted to set price would likely have to be made whole to their costs more often through a mechanism we call uplift. And uplift is damaging to the market because it cannot be predicted by market participants. So that uplift cost, that make-whole payment to generators, has to be allocated somewhere. A lot of it goes to load. But load can't predict what that uplift cost is going to be. So there's additional risk in the market associated with the fact that uplift costs at times can get large. So that was the cost, and it was always known. What we are saying now is... Uh, looking at where we've come and what we know now and the computational capabilities that we have now, we've developed uh, an enhanced formulation of the LMP calculation that involves 
uh, an approach that we call integer relaxation. And what that, uh, what that approach will do is, to the extent that they are needed to serve load, allow resources that PJM commits that are, at the time, inflexible, meaning they can't adjust their output, allow them to set price, again, when they are needed to serve load, and also incorporate other costs like startup costs and no-load costs into that price, which will, number one, more accurately, again, reflect the total cost of resources committed by PJM to serve load, and also have the effect of minimizing that out-of-market uplift, which is another very desirable characteristic of the price calculation. Well, Stu, that was a that was a very uh, good example of something that's very complicated. I really appreciate that. So, we talked a little bit about uplift and why it's problematic. And PJM has stated that one of the intents of price formation, of this enhanced price formation proposal, is to more accurately reflect the cost of meeting power demand or the cost of serving load in uh, the energy market price. Uh, PJM acknowledges that eliminating uplift payments. Is, is unlikely. These, these payments that are outside of the market and are not very transparent and, and are problematic for a variety of reasons. And PJM has done great work over the years to reduce uplift, and in fact, uplift charges are trending down. Um, the price formation proposal would reduce uplift by $80 million annually, but is estimated to increase energy market prices uh, $440 million to $1.4 billion annually. Uh, So can you tell us, is the uplift problem so serious that these additional costs are justified, or is there something beyond uplift that PJM is concerned about? Well, I would would go a little further than than you stated in your question, Christina, because I would say that uplift, uh, eliminating uplift is not just unlikely, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. So again, in a system we have where you have physical assets on the system that have limitations, you, you simply cannot completely eliminate uplift, right? But uplift is a signal that energy market prices are not quite as efficient as they could be. Because, again, and I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record, I know, but it's a sign that, um, that the total cost of the resources necessary to serve load are not transparently reflected through the prices. So we actually engaged in a sort of a bit of a research effort here at PJM, working with um, some outside entities as well, as to is there an enhancement we could make to the price calculation that would further minimize uplift. And to your point, we have done a lot of work over the years to make our dispatch algorithms uh, more efficient in order to reduce uplift to the greatest extent possible. What we're saying is uh, that beyond that, there's even better ways to calculate the price that would further minimize uplift. And one of the reasons uplift is as low as as it is today is because fuel prices are so low. One only needs to go back to the winter of 2015 when natural gas prices spiked uh, to see that uplift costs can very quickly get extremely large uh, when um, system conditions uh, materialize that way. So, um, so the, again, the, the intent here is to get a more optimal price that, again, is more transparent and more reflective of the total cost of operating the system. And one characteristic of that better pricing mechanism is that uplift is minimized. So, we did do some simulations that you referred to that we included as an appendix to our white paper. Uh, the simulation showed roughly an $80 million decrease in uplift, but again, that was only a simulation, uh, and it was for calendar year 2016. So the actual reduction is going to be dependent upon 
actual conditions in the future. But more importantly, a comparison of the magnitude of uplift reduction to what uh, total payments would be is really not the right comparison. Uh, because again, payments are whatever they are on the basis of what the best price is. And a characteristic of the most efficient price is that it minimizes uplift. But it's not a one-for-one trade-off because hypothetically you could minimize total payments by just you know, setting L&P to zero all the time and paying everything through uplift. But that clearly is not the best price when you're talking about a uniform clearing price approach to energy market pricing that signals, again, for the long term, efficient resource entry and exit. So uh, what our research shows, again, is that the approach that we're suggesting, this integer relaxation approach to calculating prices, is the way to get to the best, most accurate, most transparent energy market prices. And again, that has the characteristic of minimizing uplift. Okay, so, I, so I'm going to ask a, maybe a more provocative question here. Um, PJM has a near record high 23% reserve margin, which in basic terms is a measure of excess supply above peak demand that can contribute to reliability. And in fact, rating agencies like Moody note, Moody's uh, note that PJM has too much generation supply, which is driving down energy prices. And you talk about um, things like you know the best energy price, um, and you know there you know, suppliers or consumers may have a different definition of how they how they view that term. Um, but fundamentally, in competitive markets, if some generators can't afford to serve load at these low prices, but other generators can, shouldn't the costlier generators just retire? Yeah, Christina, that's actually a great point. And yes, that should be the result of competitive markets. Uh, and those uneconomic resources can be expected to retire. Uh, and we think that, in general, the markets are sending uh, signals uh, for entry and exit. We actually published a paper, I think, in May of 2016 uh, that went through some analysis on that. And we have seen uh, quite a few resources uh, retire uh, over the last uh, period of, year, of years, over the past decade, for example. Uh, but what we need to be sure of is that the market design and the market rules produce the prices and the best prices to send the best signals in the long term. So the signal needs to be really purely, or as purely as possible, the result of supply and demand conditions, not some artifact of the market design. And we think that right now, energy market prices are suppressed somewhat uh, because of this um, you know, simplifying assumption that was made when we first put LNP in place. Uh, and we can make them more accurate. And that more accurate price will ensure, again, for the long term, that the most efficient set of resources is retained while, again, those uneconomic resources continue to retire. Okay, so the, the low ener- the energy market price suppression is happening co- because of this artifact, and maybe also, to Moody's point, because an, an oversupply, perhaps. Um, so I'll, I'll ask the next question. Given PJAM's abundant supply of generation resources, uh, there, there currently isn't a reliability issue, and if some generators retire and the, the supply of generation uh, is reduced, energy prices should, in theory, rise, uh, therefore improving revenue adequacy to the remaining generators in the market. So 
if this is about getting the right prices and the best prices to maintain resource adequacy and send the right signals for entry and exit, um, is it premature uh, to be reforming price setting in the name of maintaining reliability? Well, first and foremost, I completely agree we do not have a reliability issue um, for, for some of those reasons that you, that you cited. And again, our proposal is not uh, essentially saying that we need to raise prices to keep more resources because of some reliability issue, because I agree we do not have a reliability issue today. Mm-hmm. I would simply argue that it's never premature to make sure that your prices are as accurate as they can possibly be. Mm-hmm. And that really is what this proposal is all about. Great. Well, yeah, it's good to uh, improve one's approach, so I understand that. Uh, So I'll ask another question. Um, A future with uh, greater amounts of renewable energy is going to require the grid to become more flexible. But, you know, some are concerned that the price formation proposal is actually rewarding inflexibility by letting these inflexible units set the price and perhaps increasing off-peak prices. Um, in its proposal, PJM mentions the idea of creating a load-following product, so a specific uh, product that's priced in the market or in its own uh, market um, that would compensate highly flexible generators, the types of generators that can ramp up and down as needed, um, which would be a good, for example, partner with variable renewable energy um, And there'd be also the potential for inflexible units like coal and nuclear to pay a portion of these costs to accommodate um, some of the the needs of the system because of the inflexibility. Uh, What signals would the price formation proposal send to flexible units? And why didn't the proposal recommend creation of a load-following product? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because uh, it's an opportunity to clarify, I think, a couple of things. Uh, First... PJM is not proposing to allow self-scheduled units to set price. Oh, okay. So we're only proposing to allow resources committed by PJM to set price. It's just recognizing that resources that PJM commits include both flexible and inflexible resources. I'm going to just... That's that's a really important clarification. I just want to for the listener. So PJM has a day-ahead market in which... Units are committed and scheduled so they can prepare uh, for the real-time market, which is the day of. Certain units self-schedule because they believe it's in their economic best interest and also because they're inflexible. They can't turn off and on. They self-schedule in the day-ahead market, and they take the chance that prices in the real-time market may or may not be sufficient to cover their costs. In the real-time market... PJM makes decisions about what units are self-scheduled. So that is a really um, important clarification that only the real-time market dispatchable units that are inflexible can set price. Well, again, let me just clarify that a little bit. Um, What I said was, you're exactly right, self-scheduled resources would not be eligible, but inflexible resources that PJM commits Ah. as part of that day-ahead process, Mm -hmm. would be eligible to set price under our proposal. So the residual unit commitments? Well, no, I mean, uh, there's there's a certain set of units that self-schedule day-ahead, like Mm -hmm. you're saying. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. There's a certain set that offer themselves to PJM, and PJM commits Mm -hmm. on a day-ahead basis. Mm -hmm. But not all of those resources that PJM commits, when you get to real time, are flexible 
all the time they're running, right? Mm-hmm. They could be sitting at an economic minimum value and therefore can't reduce any further, mm-hmm. um, you know, those types of things. So all the resources that PGM commits would be eligible to set price, both day ahead and real time. Uh, but not all of those resources PGM commits are always flexible. Great. Thank you for that clarification. So I, I apologize for interrupting you. Please, please go on. No, not at all. So that's one important clarification, so I'm glad we went through that. Um, the second one was with, res- with respect to the po- uh, possibility or potential for a load-following product. Under the, the PJM proposal, under this integer relaxation approach to calculating prices, there are, well, there will be times when PJM dispatches resources differently than the locational marginal price at their bus would otherwise suggest. So the most obvious example is in order to maintain that generation and load balance, we may need to dispatch generators down in order to maintain that balance, even when the LMP is higher than their offer. And so there needs to be compensation for those resources. That's what we refer to it usually as lost opportunity costs, compensation. But that is a, another form of uplift. But the price calculation we're proposing even when you include that form of uplift, would minimize total uplift mm. because the make-whole payment form of uplift would go down significantly by typically, at least according to our simulations, by multiples of this lost opportunity cost compensation we would have to pay. So that is part of the core proposal, uh, and you can look at it as a form of compensation for being flexible. What we're suggesting is there may be a mechanism by which we could incorporate some form of load-following product that would provide for even enhanced compensation to resources for following PJM dispatch instructions. That requires more uh, study, more analysis, and more development of what the specific market rules would be. Uh, And we did not um, go that far in our proposal because it's really not a core component of this integer relaxation approach. So we're not, certainly not ruling it out. Mm-hmm. All we're saying is it would probably need to be a future enhancement. It's not part of this core integer relaxation approach. Mm-hmm. But we still feel like integer relaxation, uh, that approach to calculating prices, would incentivize flexibility. Because if you think about it this way, right now, because only flexible resources can set price, when a flexible resource is setting the LMP, but a higher cost, inflexible resource is operating as well, you can look at that as the flexible resource today being penalized for being Mm -hmm. flexible because the price really ought to be set on the basis of the cost of operating that higher cost resource that is necessary to serve demand, which means the flexible resource would earn additional inframarginal revenue as a result. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's not happening today. And so we think once the prices are calculated in that manner, it will actually provide additional incentive for resources to be flexible because they will do better being flexible than they do under the current market paradigm. Okay, now that's that's helpful. Um, that's a helpful explanation. So let me, uh, and that was that was very clear too, even though highly technical. It was, uh, it was <laughs> very good. You're masterful at this, Stu. Thank you. Um, so. I want to ask another question about extended LMP. So several uh, RTOs, regional transmission organizations and independent system operators, have uh, implemented extended LMP for these inflexible yet very fast-responding units that are often needed to meet 
peak demand and uh, therefore frequently operate at the margin. However, some economists believe that extended LMP is not yet well enough understood for the kind of wide-scale implementation envisioned by PJM. Is enough known about extended LMP to move towards market-wide implementation? Yeah, I mean, to your point, Christina, uh, other ISOs and RTOs have already started down this path and have done so successfully and have actually seen uh, reductions in uplift uh, as a result. You know, so we've dedicated a significant amount of research uh, into this proposal. We've been at this for uh, probably about a year. Um, and, uh, and we think it does, you know, this uh, approach we've, we've landed on does address uh, issues with the LMP formulation that have, have existed for a long time. As part of that research, we've also uh, consulted with industry experts, most significantly Bill Hogan from Harvard. Uh, and you could probably see that our white paper indicated, uh, or I'm sorry, included a, a letter of support uh, from Dr. Hogan as well. So we think the benefits are clear. Uh, more, more importantly, or equally importantly, uh, we have the ability to implement this approach, uh, which is something historically uh, has not been the case. Uh, and really the bottom line is we think it is the right thing to do. Just mathematically, it's a better way to set price. Great. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna back out of the you know, more detailed discussion and, uh, and ask one more question before I uh, turn it back over to Andy. So it seems like PJM is in a bit of a tough position. On the one hand, the Trump administration has set forth a proposal that would essentially kill PJM's competitive markets in order to save coal and nuclear plants that store fuel on site. On the other hand, economists, investors, and consumers are increasingly um, pointing towards natural gas, demand-side resources, and renewables. How does PJM manage these opposing forces? Yeah, again, just sort of circling back to the beginning, the, the department's interest in ensuring uh, fuel security and resilience uh, and the proper pricing of reliability attributes is really in alignment with efforts that we already had underway uh, at PJM and um, in our stakeholder uh, process as well. You know, because like I said, we started at this uh, a year ago, and we, we posted our first uh, sort of very brief uh, little paper on it back in June uh, of this year. The, the result, I think, of the DOE initiative is that it actually may accelerate uh, the process through FERC action that would require PJM to file its proposal on a, a somewhat shortened timeline than we otherwise might get to through our, our stakeholder process. So we continue to believe that those objectives that the, the, the Department of Energy laid out are best achieved through competitive markets because they really, those, those markets really retain the disciplining forces that work to prevent consumers from paying for unnecessary and inefficient resources. Again, to your point earlier, Christina, uneconomic resources should have uh, an incentive to retire to the extent, uh, again, they are not needed. Uh, and competitive markets will reveal which resources are needed and which ones are not through efficient pricing. So, again, we believe that energy market price formation uh, and we haven't even mentioned it, but uh, part of our proposal as well is enhanced shortage pricing really represent a more comprehensive solution because it does both. It retains resources we need, but also provides a signal for resources that we don't need uh, to retire. So, yeah, so we look forward to, to, to uh, continuing to work through the process, that whatever comes out of the FERC, which uh, now I think has been delayed uh, about another 30 days. Right. Yeah, thank you for mentioning this, the shortage pricing as well. I, I appreciate you, because we didn't focus on that at all today. Right. <laughs> it seems Something to be... The, another podcast. Exactly. Um, well, thank you so much, uh, Stu, for all your time. I'm going to turn it back over to the uh, Energy Policy Now host, Andy Stone. Stu, I have one final question for you. Um, I'd like to just zoom out from this one and take a look at the optics for just a moment. 
uh, and ask you, what would you say uh, to the people who still believe that the price formation proposal from PJM is just a more complicated way to bail out economically struggling coal and nuclear plants? Yeah, and I guess, Andy, what I would say to that is uh, our proposal just is not about saving any particular unit, any class of units, or one fuel source or another. PJM is independent, uh, and well, first of all, legally, but more importantly, because it's the right thing to do, we must be neutral on fuels and resource types. So this is just about getting the price of electricity right in the wholesale market so that we provide uh, accurate and transparent reflections of the total cost of providing the power that's necessary. So we think our wholesale markets uh, provide a lot of benefits to the region. Uh, if you look on our website and check out our value proposition, you know the, the high-level calculation is in the billions of dollars of, of annual savings. And again, our markets have successfully adapted for the past 20 years uh, to achieve our mission. Uh, and so this is uh, another step in that evolution. Uh, and to Christina's point earlier, uh, it's, it's all about continuous improvement. And we think this is a uh, this is a better way that we now technologically have the capability to implement. And so it's the right thing to do, and it's the right thing to do uh, as soon as possible. Stu and Christina, thanks for talking. Thank, Thank you, you, Andy. So much. We've been talking with Stu Bressler, PJM's Senior Vice President for Operations and Markets, and Christina Simeone, Director of Policy and External Affairs at the Climate Center. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to Energy Policy Now. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we've posted additional reading on PJM's price formation proposal and information related to the DOE NOPER on this podcast page on the Climate Center website. You can find our website at climateenergy.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening and have a great day.